Hello there, and welcome to A Little Bit of Python, Episode 8. Saturday morning's keynote speaker at PyCon this year was Mark Shuttleworth of Canonical. Mark was kind enough to agree to an interview, and we thought you'd be interested in hearing what he had to say. So, you're managing a company that's, that's growing fairly rapidly for the open source world. You're trying now, or you're seeing now, a reduction in complexity of the, the products that you're trying to build, or a reduction in the rate of increase of... Yeah, so they're, they're of different things. Complexity, yes, okay. So what about your, your early career? You, you came to view, I think, through your development of certificate-based software in Thorte? That's right. Thorte was my first business. It was a you know, tremendously lucky, right time, right place kind of experience. Yeah. Um, uh, I can't attribute its success to any great brilliance or you know, clarity of, uh, of technological or mathematical insight. Um, uh, but what I was really interested in doing was opening up the you know commerce on the web to to a global participation that was very centered around the US. Yep. Um, and one of the one of the key sort of blockers and barriers to to to, um, to that to setting up commercial sites outside of the US was access to um, digital certificates and you know quality authentication. And thought really sort of specialized in doing that on a distributed basis around the world, uh, which which met a very particular need and was just very fortunate the way it worked out. And you were a very early Python adopter. You were using Python from, you said, one point. From university one days, yeah. Um, I remember scrolling through comp.lang.star and, and Python sort of caught my eye and, you know, that was quickly followed up by reading something that reinforced that and so I dived into it. I was using, I guess, OS2 at the time. Uh-huh. And uh, and you know, there was a Python build for it, and it, it just became an interesting. It, it just felt like it was at the right stack of the right level of the stack in terms of being able to do rapid, rapid prototyping for web work. Sure, right. Do you have any involvement at all with Thought since the sale to to Verisign? No, very little. I think Verisign has conducted themselves very well in in, in, in handling the brand and the company. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm, I'm glad that they kept it as an individual brand, and that market yeah. has continued to sort of r- very rapidly grow. Um, with new entrants and so on, so it's become it's become you know something that really required sort of fairly deep industrial experience that I didn't have. Yeah, right. Mm-hmm. So you've you've had to make the transition from being would you have considered yourself as a software engineer earlier on in your career, or just a programmer? Or I've never been a great anything, you know. I've okay. never been a brilliant programmer, nor have I been a brilliant administrator or brilliant uh, anything. It's a you know. I don't know. I, I I try to glue things together. I try to glue ideas together and people together and say, hey, you know, here's interesting stuff that's going on that's connected to this other interesting stuff that's that's going on and make it work. So more a, a builder of connections than yeah, a builder of communities and and competence. Yeah. Okay. Good. Fine. So we were talking on the on the way here about your trip to the space station. That was 2002, mm, I yeah, believe. It feels, feels like yesterday, but I guess it was uh, really eight years ago. Yeah. It's, so the experience stays with you then. Yeah, very much so. Although I think it becomes it becomes stylized in one's memory. You know, it's a bit like a dream. You mm-hmm. start to remember more vividly the pieces that you've talked about. And yes. So eventually, you start to wonder whether you know you, you, you remember it the way you describe memory. it, or whether you <laughs> whether you really remember it. 
But, yeah, uh, the, the story becomes the truth. But how, yeah. how do you think it, it's changed your perspective on, on life down here? Because you're uh, almost think, outside the globe looking down. Uh, so there's a very real sense of being removed from removed from the earth and humanity. You know, you have this cold sense of distance. Everything, everything that people have done with them to and for each other has happened in this tiny little biofilm, you know, this thin little layer. When you see the planet and you see just how thin the atmosphere is around it. You know, it's a meniscus. It's not a layer, you know what I mean? It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a film. skin. Yeah. And, uh, and it, you know, protects us from all the harshness of space and uh, sustains us and we don't do much in return. And um, when you see that, you see how kind of close and connected everything is. You, it does tend to make one want to find projects that will have a global impact. And uh, so, uh, you know, in thinking what to do next, there were several options. And Ubuntu was sort of the scariest, but it was also the one that had the best results if, you know, for me and for everybody if I could pull it off. So I'll tell you in 10 years' time whether <laughs> it was a good idea or not. <laughs> Indeed. So has, um, has Ubuntu been the success you thought it would be, or did you, did you go into the project wanting to take Ubuntu in a particular direction, or, or did you just have the, the desire just to this, see it this, organically grow? This gut feel that we could do platforms better, that yeah. open source allowed us to... If we really set free software free, which the existing sort of incumbents hadn't and still haven't done. Um, it could become a truly revolutionary force in technology. I agree. I certainly believe that too. And I think yeah. Python is, is one of the particular technologies which is poised to, to do that yeah. in some ways. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, and so it was a question of figuring out, you know, what does that mean? What does it mean to set free software free and to do it the right way? Yeah. And in, in every sort of change, I think people tend to view it uh, initially through the filter of what came, what went before. And then later, you know, its true nature becomes revealed. Yeah. Uh, if I think of the web, um, you know, we spent a long time making online brochures effectively, right? Yes. Applying... Yes trying to apply various traditional media experiences, print or movie or TV or to the web. Yeah. And, and they don't really fit. Um, and then you get the second generation, the second wave of people who, who kind of grew up with it and say, well, you know, why are we putting, putting it into this strange box? You know, the web is the web. It's not those other mediums. And, yes. and, and, uh, and so then you get that second wave of, of goodness. But it takes, sort of takes a s fresh eyes. Um, and I think the same is true with open source. You know, open source kind of broke out into the real world yeah. as opposed to the dream world where you're unconstrained um, by operational reality. Mm -hmm. um, kind of broke out in the thick of the internet and the move to, uh, uh, you know, the drive for Unix performance at Wintel prices. Um, and so what most of the early companies who were doing Linux did was dress it up like proprietary software. You know, it came in a box with a sticker price sure. and there was a, you know, a phone line that you could call. Mm -hmm. But that's not its real nature. 
its real nature is it is an intrinsically collaborative thing. And so I think we should be focused on the things that we can do differently, not the things that we can do the same. Yes, you should um, be trying to emulate the traditional um, corporate... Right, so, so, so time-based releases to me are a brilliant example of stuff that we can do that, that the proprietary software world is just very unlikely to adopt um, and, and delivers huge benefits to, to end users. They're unlikely to adopt it because they... Uh, they tie very strongly their, their revenues are tied very strongly to upgrades which are tied very strongly to features mm-hmm. so the, the balance of the debate is very heavily skewed to we must get this feature into this release and therefore the release will slip and therefore we can't do time-based releases because it's all driven by being able to justify the price of the upgrade in terms Precisely. of the feature sets provided whereas in the free software world we, we can say you know we release it on time, and we release it at high quality, and we achieve both of those. And we're sorry, we don't know what features get this we feature this right, time, exactly. but it That's will be, a long, be another one along in half an hour. Right, and and you'll be able to get it with a simple upgrade, and we'll make that grade that upgrade predictable and reliable, so you'll do it with confidence, and and uh, you know everybody wins. It's the sort of thing that we can do that the proprietary software would, world would never do, and uh, and so it's it's the sort of thing that catches my attention as as letting letting it free software be free. Okay, well, since you're at PyCon and and since I have seen announcements that uh, that Kamichael are hiring, have you got anything you'd like to say to potential employees? Sure, I, I think if you if you if you want to be part of the breakout of free software to the to the to the broader world and and to do that in a way which really um, which really keeps the ecosystem open and moves things forward, then Canonical is a great place to be. And and we have a diversity of teams, some of whom are dive, you know, essentially who specialize in integrating and, 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 and adding a, a level of polish and connectedness to other people's software, which is a real skill and discipline in its own right, the, the platform team that build Ubuntu. We also have other teams that do kind of deep software development, either... Um, web-based or service-oriented, you know, network servers or client client side, you know, with our new uh, desktop environments and things like yep. that. So it seems to me that people uh, people love uh, love the experience of working there. It is there are challenges. You, you know, distributed working isn't for everybody, and I understand uh, that. and you know, it takes a certain certain level of personal. You know, you've got to love the problem. And discipline. Yeah, exactly. You've got to love the problem, and so sure. you, you show up to you show up to the call face to attack the problem yep. every day. Yeah, yeah. Roll, up, roll up the sleeves and attack it with renewed vigor. Right. Yeah. When I was a kid, I got a lot of help from people who knew about the subjects I was interested in, like chemistry and, and uh, electronics and so on. Did, did what were your influences as a child that made you very lucky. towards computing? Yeah, I was very interested in science and technology, and yeah. was very lucky to have a series of teachers that kind of supported and encouraged that, and, and let me let me run wild with it. My folks did a cunning thing. They they sort of arranged for me not to be allowed to do computer science at high school, yeah. um, which <laughs> sort of had this built up this pent up demand. So I kind of came out of the <laughs> came out of the gates into university, you know. Very, gagging, uh, gagging, to, gagging to code. Yeah, really. And and so although I signed up for a commerce degree, I, I kind of threw myself into yeah. into, into that and embraced the embraced the internet very early and and just had a lot of fun with it. Since most of our listeners will be the Python users, what's the last piece of Python you actually wrote? Oh, just this weekend I started uh, working up something in Pi Game, and uh, I'd like to bring a bit of Pi. OpenGL into it as well, but okay. and essentially I'm mocking up um, a bit of desktop user experience um, for a new kind of way to interact with 
uh, the applications that are running on the system at a given time, and I just thought it would be fun to try and mock it up with, with, with Pygame. And how did that go? Did you find you could use Pygame to put it together quite quickly? Yeah, I got the I got the sort of the, the sort of static bit up. I, I, yeah. I, I, next weekend, I guess I'll have a stab at the various interactions and so on. So, so you've done the easy bits, and the rest is waiting for you. Yeah, it's 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 it, it's all easy. It just takes learning and time. Yeah, and patience. So, yeah. where from here? You'll be leaving Atlanta today, I understand. T- tonight, back to to the UK, and then um, and then yeah, onwards. Okay, well, thanks very much for coming to, to talk with us, Mark, and to give the, uh, the keynote speech. It's been great talking with you, and I hope we'll have you back at PyCon again soon. Thanks for the role that you play in, uh, in keeping the, the Python community vibrant. Thank you very much. This has been a little bit of Python episode 8, featuring Steve Holden interviewing Mark Shuttleworth of Canonical. Our theme music is track 11 from the Headroom Project's album Haifa, available on the Magnitude label. Please send all your comments and suggestions to the email address all at bitofpython.com. Until next time, have a good time. Public Radio. HPR is sponsored by caro.net, so head on over to caro.net for all your hosting needs.